Last week we discovered that we have an obligation to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We even suggested that that could be our motto or our statement of faith or whatever it might be. You know, we can't just say things like that. We have to support them with our lifestyle. And the best way to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light is to keep your behavior excellent. And that's exactly what Peter is going to go on to encourage us to do. We continue our study in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, on account of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. If you belong to God, your behavior is a reflection of His character. So obviously you want your behavior to be excellent for His sake, but must also be excellent for your own sake. And for the sake of others. Peter expands that thought in our text for today. He says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. Peter addresses us as beloved. And he urges us as aliens and strangers. Those are terms we hear a lot about today. But they had some very specific application in Peter's day. The word for alien refers to a person who isn't a citizen. And a stranger refers to a temporary resident. Now, as we would have noted if we had covered the first two verses of 1 Peter when we began our study, this letter was originally addressed to those who resided as aliens in five provinces of northern Asia Minor, or modern Turkey. And they may have been actual aliens, displaced foreigners, living in a land that was not their homeland. They may very well have been discriminated against because of their ethnic origins. And when they became Christians, things did not get better for them on the social scene. Things actually got worse. They were now not only foreigners... They were also religious outcasts. But that was all right. Because their primary citizenship was not in Asia Minor, and they were only temporary residents. Their citizenship was in heaven, and heaven would be their eternal home. So Paul says, go ahead. Act like aliens and strangers. Don't act like everyone else living in Asia Minor in 60 A.D. or in Chatham in 2017. Live 
like citizens of heaven who are only temporary residents on earth. And we are aliens. We've been inhabited by an alien life force, the Spirit of God. And that Spirit enables us to be more than just a physical being dominated by fleshly lusts. You have been born again into the family of God. You have become a member of a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, the people of God. You now have a spiritual nature, and that nature should be evident to everyone. So Peter says, abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Lusts that seek to overpower your new nature. But what are these fleshly lusts? You know, we tend to think of lust as sexual desire. But the word has a much broader meaning than that. A lust is any desire that finds its fulfillment in our lower fleshly nature. Desire that finds expression in the deeds of the flesh. The Apostle Paul tells us such deeds are evident, and he lists them. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, And things like these. He opens the door. He says they're evident. These deeds of the flesh are evident. And Peter says we are to abstain from fleshly lusts that lead us into such deeds. But how do you abstain from them? The desire is there. The lusts are there. They're part of our fleshly nature. We can't just pretend they don't exist. And we shouldn't expect God to take away all of our fleshly desires. He doesn't give us victory over sin by removing all temptations. If you're waiting for God to take away your desire for illicit sex before you pledge yourself to purity or your desire for wealth before you give up greed, or your desire for alcohol before you quit drinking, you'll never win the war. Fleshly lusts are waging against your soul. You abstain from the lusts only by refusing to give in to them and making no provision for them. Paul made that clear in Romans 13, 12 through 14. He says, The night is almost gone and the day is at hand. Let us therefore lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. 
put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. That is how we abstain from fleshly lusts. When we put on Christ, His Spirit indwells us, and He gives us the desire and the power to overcome temptations. But as we've already noted, temptations don't just go away. The lusts are still there. We overcome them by making no provision for them. This is huge. We stop hanging out in places where we are tempted. We avoid friends who lure us into things we know we should avoid. We unplug the computer or turn off the TV if we find ourselves drawn to images that pollute our mind and soul. We don't give our lusts unnecessary opportunities to tempt us. And we consciously refuse to let them control us. Because if we don't, if we let them dominate our life, we lose the war. For as Paul said in Galatians, after listing the deeds of the flesh, those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I think it's important that we notice he says, practice such things. He doesn't say if you stumble into an occasional sin, you'll not inherit the kingdom of God. The grace of Christ covers that. But if you ignore the call to holy living and you begin practicing the deeds of flesh, if that becomes the identifying mark of your lifestyle, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You lose the spiritual war, no matter what you call yourself or where you go to church. So we keep our behavior excellent for our own sake and for the sake of others. Peter goes on, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, on account of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Keep your behavior excellent. And excellent is far above acceptable. Our goal should not be behavior that is acceptable but behavior that is excellent. We don't proclaim the acceptabilities of Him who called us out of darkness. We proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. So our behavior must be a reflection of His excellencies. Our behavior must be excellent. And the word means more than just right behavior. It means behavior that is attractive, gracious, winsome. It's behavior that catches the attention of others in a positive way. And sadly, that's not always the case 
with Christians. Some 20 years ago, Tony Campolo wrote a book with an interesting title, Following Jesus Without Embarrassing God. (laughs) All too often, I'm sure, Christians embarrass God and turn off unbelievers by their righteous behavior. Well, Peter's not just urging us to do the right thing. He's urging us to do it in the right way. To do it with a positive, joyous, non-judgmental spirit that will draw people to the excellencies of God. Shakespeare has Othello say of Cassio, He hath a daily beauty in his life that makes me ugly. That's pretty cool. He hath a daily beauty in his life that makes me ugly. Our life, our life should have a beauty that makes worldly standards seem ugly. A beauty that draws people to God. And a beauty that silences are critics. Peter makes it clear that it is excellent behavior that best addresses slander. And the early Christians had to deal with some pretty heavy slander. They were accused of being cannibals because they ate the Lord's body and drank his blood. They were accused of holding orgies because They had love feasts. They were considered to be traitors to the state because they refused to burn incense to Caesar and antisocial because they would not participate in pagan celebrations. They were even considered atheists because they didn't worship idols. Now, some of the slander was obviously based on misinformation and could be addressed by explaining things. For example, the true nature of the Lord's Supper and the love feast. But much was based on prejudice and a desire to slander. And when that's the case, rising to your own defense is seldom beneficial. Some people are going to believe what they want to believe no matter what you say. When that's true, the best approach is to simply live in such a way that the slander will have a hollow ring to it. Or as Plato said, when accused of something that wasn't true, I will live in such a way that no one will believe what he says. That is what Peter is telling us to do here, to keep our behavior excellent among the unbelievers. So when they slander us as evildoers, and they will, they slandered Christ, it will become obvious as they observe our good deeds That it's not true. It's not true. Now, they may not realize it right away. 
In fact, Peter says our good deeds will lead them to glorify God in the day of visitation. And some believe the day of visitation is a reference to the second coming. They won't acknowledge our life until the second coming. The NIV even translates this as on the day he visits us. That's not really what it says here. It simply says in the day of visitation. The word for visitation is the same word Jesus used in Luke 19.44 when he wept over the city of Jerusalem because she had not recognized the time of her visitation. He had come to Jerusalem to save her, but she refused to accept him. So the day of visitation can refer to a day of grace. When Jesus comes and reveals himself to someone, when he draws near and calls someone to himself. The word itself is episcope in Greek, from which we get our word episcopal or bishop. It means to look over, to care for, to visit with help. And it certainly makes more sense that unbelievers would glorify God because of our excellent behavior on the day they find salvation than at the second coming when they'll be condemned. I think Peter is saying that through our excellent behavior, we can prepare people for the day when Christ visits them, when he calls them to himself, that they are much more apt to respond positively to his visitation if they have observed excellent behavior in the lives of those who claim to already know him. So we keep our behavior excellent among the Gentiles, among unbelievers, for their sake, in the hopes of preparing them For the day of their visitation, the day when Christ makes himself known to them. We keep our behavior excellent for his name's sake, for our own sake, and for the sake of others. I really like what Scott McKnight says in the NIV application commentary when he writes this. What Peter wants from his churches and what God wants from his people is a heart focused on him, a behavior focused on love and obedience, and a lifestyle impeccable in the sight of non-believers. Peter is calling his people to a lifestyle that begins and ends with a theme of holiness. And we need to realize that holiness is not just a call to read the Bible daily, to pray daily, to be faithful attendees of church, to be tithers, or to follow any other Christian virtues that have become the essence of Christian living. Holiness is a thirst, a drive to know God in His fullness, and an unashamed commitment to obey God whatever it costs, And wherever we are, it begins in the morning, directs our path during the day, 
leads us to confession and praise in the evening. Isn't that beautiful? That's beautiful. That's what we're called to be. That's what we're called to be. In other words, we're called to full surrender to His Lordship. A call to surrender our all to the Lordship of Christ. How many times have we sung, I surrender all? I just pray we're doing it. I pray we're doing it. Then in the morning we think, how am I going to represent Christ today? During the day, we're looking to Him for guidance. We're relying on His Spirit to, to empower us to be different than those around us. In the evening, we thank Him and praise Him for His grace that gives meaning and substance to everything we do. Because our life is a reflection of the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. What a picture of the Christian life. That's not legalism. That's not negativism. That's not judgmentalism. That is living the Christ life. Don't settle for acceptable behavior. Shoot for that which is excellent. I encourage you to make that your goal. Keep your behavior excellent. Through the strength He gives. And if you've not publicly committed yourself to doing that or you need to repent of failure to do that, I invite you to come and to acknowledge it. We've been called to a life of excellence. Let's live it together. Let's stand.